You're listening to audio from Redeemer Church in Lubbock, Texas. Redeemer Church is a gospel-centered, missional family of disciples making disciples and churches planting churches. If you would like to get more information or donate to this ministry, please visit RedeemerLubbock.org. My name is Dusty. I'm one of the pastors here, but also do want to give a, a welcome to friends and family. I've even seen some folks that I haven't got to catch up with in years that were here supporting some of their family, and um, just a lot of fun. So thanks for being here. It makes it even more special. Um, so we're, we're starting a, a new series today. We, we've been pretty much this whole you know, school year, basically, we've been in the book of Romans, and we're starting something new <clears throat> today that we're going to do all the way through the summer, and it's the Sermon on the Mount. So uh, this is Jesus's sermon, and um, I'm going to, along with other leaders here, going to do the best we can over this summer to, uh, to communicate the heart of what Jesus is getting at. And it's a really interesting sermon because it, it falls at a really you know, unique time in what God has been doing in human history because uh, he hasn't uh, gone to the cross yet. Jesus has not and hasn't been resurrected from the dead, which is the real central point. And so one of the things you're going to see, this is just a, a way to maybe help you understand and interpret the whole Sermon on the Mount, is that um, Jesus is announcing like the values of God and the values of heaven, of what will be. And um, after um, everyone who loves Jesus dies and um, or till whenever Jesus returns, we see the values uh, of, of God. And uh, But it doesn't necessarily tell us like how. Like it, Jesus isn't going to say, um, hey, here's how you change and here's how, um, here's how you get this heart and perspective. He's just announcing what is at the very front end of, of his teaching ministry and, and life and all of that. Like he's just, he's communicating this. And so um, you have to understand that the cross and the resurrection and then the Holy Spirit given to God's people is the how, um, the grace of God and the presence of God. That, that's the how of how we change. But he's not walking you through all of that. He's simply announcing um, the, the values of the kingdom. So um, I want to just make that clear. Also, a couple of other special days today that I, I want to acknowledge even on the front end of the Sermon on the Sermon on the Mount um, that we have, um, I want to just acknowledge moms that are here. We love you. This is such a special day and um, a lot to celebrate with some of the gifts um, that we have to this church and uh, to children and grandchildren. You're awesome. We love you. I um, also want to acknowledge that, um, that Mother's Day, I've seen studies on this, is the most dodged Sunday of the entire year. And for a lot of reasons is that for some of us that maybe have an estranged relationship with a mother or a mother that's passed away or you're struggling with infertility or you've lost a child. Like in the life of this church, all of those things have happened, all. And so, in fact, there's some of you that it's both. Like it's a day to celebrate. You're so grateful and you're sad. And I just want you to know you're seen and seen by God, most importantly, but we see you and really consider it a privilege that you'd be here. Um, some, one last group I want to acknowledge before we jump into the sermon on, um, on the Mount is also want to acknowledge graduates. So I don't know if we've got any of you that are here, but let me just clarify. No, we're not doing any of that kindergarten graduation stuff or middle school graduation. That didn't even count. It's not real. So they look cute and all, but it's not real. Uh, so if you're graduating like high school, college, law school, master's, med school, something like that. All right. So like a legit, a legit accomplishment. All right. Uh, high school call you all follow me. If that's you, would you mind just standing so we can acknowledge you here? Anybody here graduate? I'm curious. Anybody come on. I see a couple people. Maybe go. there you go. Let's go. Good job, guys. Good job. Well done. It's a big deal. So a lot to celebrate um, today. So um, we're going to jump into this. Um, I just want to kind of highlight a couple of things that we're going to see as we read. Um, these are sometimes called the Beatitudes, the first 12 verses of Matthew. 
And um, really that, that root word there is, uh, you know, the Beatitudes is blessing. And um, I think one thing we probably need to do on the hashtag blessed life, because you're just going to see a string of things. Jesus is going to say, blessed is the one who this, and blessed is the one who that, blessed is the one who this. And uh, we just need to acknowledge, I think what I'm going to start with is what we don't mean by that, just to give you a a way to read this. And then we're going to talk about what we do mean. So what we don't mean by this is I think our our culture has its own beatitudes, its own ways of of the hashtag blessed life. And um, if you, I think most of them usually come center around affluence and, you know, something along the lines of money and success and, uh, you know, being free from any kind of hassles and problems. So comfort that usually is kind of the Americanized version of, of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount on this first part about what the blessed life is. And, um, you know, if you've got enough, uh, enough money and um, you've got enough entertainment, enough fun things, and nobody making you do things you don't want to do, that that's the blessed life, and that's incredible. And uh, maybe another way of saying it, if you just want to kind of flip the language a little bit, is if I were to ask a question, my life would be so much better if only, and then fill in the blank, and uh, like, what would you put in that blank? My life would be so much better if only what? And most of the time, what we tend to put in these blanks are, man, if I just had, if we just had a little bit more cash, things would be so much easier. Or, man, I've got this problem relationship with my boss or an employee or a coworker. Or um, there's an element that is just really unstable in my family that's causing me some grief. And, and if that was stabilized, then I would feel better. And so it's usually something that would make your life easier. And a lot of times it's money and a lot of times it's comforts. And so I just want to acknowledge like that's it's hardwired into us. That's what we think that we need, that that's what would be the blessed life. And this is what's so interesting about Jesus's teaching is he's going to turn a lot of this on end and say, yeah, do, do I bless with material things? Sure. Like anything you have, you have breath in your lungs, you've got um, money in your account to buy uh, Moto Medi for lunch today, whatever it is. Like you've got, you've got whatever you've got, then that's, that's a gift of God. And that is a blessing in a way, but it's not anywhere close to like the deepest kind of blessing in the blessed life. So that's what it's not. Now let me specify what it is. And then we're going to jump into this. I think the best way to understand what Jesus means by blessing is what one commentator that I heard recently uh, talked about uh, is that the flourishing of people um, in God, the flourishing of people in God. That's, that's the blessing right there is what does it mean for human beings to flourish? That there would be a, a flourishing among us and there are certain attitudes, there are certain uh, perspectives that, that cause a certain kind of flourishing. And then the, the opposite of that would be that uh, there, there are certain kinds of attitudes and perspectives and lifestyles that, that actually uh, take that away from us. That the flourishing that we can have in God is actually uh, absent and the opposite of that is that we kind of wilt. And so Jesus is going to say, here's what the values of the kingdom of heaven are. Here is what flourishing in God looks like. And you can just see snapshots. And it's very different <clears throat> than our own hashtag blessed life. Again, a prosperity and a hassle-free designer life. All right, so let's read the first two verses to set all this up. So uh, this is in uh, Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. You can follow along on the screen. Or if you've got a copy of the Bible in front of you, you can do that as well. Matthew chapter 5. Seeing the crowds, he, this is Jesus, went up on the mountain, and he sat down, 
his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying. So uh, this is why it's called Sermon on the Mount. Uh, coincidentally, just so you know, that uh, Luke has a kind of a, a slightly different version of this, and it's sometimes called the Sermon on the Plains. And it could be Luke's version of this sermon, although the location's different. It wouldn't be surprising if Jesus delivered a version of this sermon uh, more than once, that whenever you're going around and delivering messages as almost like an itinerant teacher, which is also, that wasn't all that he was, but he was doing a lot of teaching. It wouldn't shock you that, that he would use some of the same, you know, the same basic ideas announcing the kingdom in multiple spots. Um, it also could be a compilation of different sermons. People have different views on this, but I think probably the best view is that Jesus delivered a version of the sermon probably uh, more than once. Uh, check this uh, picture out, just so you can see. This, this would be a really cool location for, uh, for a sermon, don't you think? Uh, so I think this isn't too bad. This is where he's delivering this message there. That's where that happens. All right, so um, now he's saying, all right, disciples, gather around me. I'm gonna tell you what, uh, what it means to flourish. Like everybody wants to flourish. Every person here in this room, I guarantee you, and the people back then, like you want your life to, to be good and you want it to count for something and you want a sense of, of happiness, a sense of fulfillment, a sense of meaning and flourishing. That's what that means. And, um, and he's gonna say, here's what it looks like. Here's, here's this life um, in God. So here you go, verse three. Blessed or flourishing are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed is the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, in, the, in Luke's, um, Luke's version of this, again, maybe a, a different sermon at a different time, on the Sermon on the Plains, it just says, blessed are the poor, blessed are the poor. And um, I don't think we need to see these things in odds, at odds there, because I think that um, the reality is someone that is financially poor could they could be very dependent on God. They could. They could realize, Lord, if you do not give me uh, my rent money this month, like I'm out. Like you're, I, I'm going to go work. I'm going to do all I can, but I need you to provide, and I don't know how we're going to make ends meet. And um, someone that is financially poor could be very dependent on God. But could we also agree that someone that is, who is, doesn't have any money and that is really kind of paycheck to paycheck and trying to make it or even on the streets, that, that they could be also very, um, very proud. They could uh, be um, greedy. They, could, they, could be, they don't have any money, but they would think that all their problems would be solved if they had money. And so um, what Jesus is saying here is that there is a blessing that could come along with someone that's poor, that understands their dependence on God. That could be a beautiful thing. But here, poor in spirit goes like a layer beneath that. This is saying regardless of how many commas and zeros you have in your bank account, you could be really rich, you could be really poor. You could just be flat out middle class, right in between. Uh, but it's, a, it's more of an attitude and more of a, you can think humility. And this will come up really in these first few verses. I think this comes up a lot, is um, a, a sense of dependence on God and uh, that I'm not up here and everybody else down here, but a sense of like, look, man, I'm, 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 uh, I've been given a lot of gifts by God and I depend on God and just a, a low road of humility in someone. And just to be straight with you, man, like I'm always shocked when I see it in action because my experience with just human beings, Beings. And whether you're talking about church work, which is what I do, or you could be a coach, um, you could be uh, in business, um, you could be with a group of stay-at-home moms that meet up and kind of organize some things and whatever. It doesn't matter, like, whatever, because people are involved in every one of those things. My experience, generally, is that people will wield whatever power that they could have their, uh, at their disposal, even if it's like, hey, I paid good money for this, and if you don't take this stake back, I'm going to put a review on Yelp. And, like, that's a, a use of power, and, like, we'll, we usually take our, our power and we, uh, we put it in 
for the full degree of whatever it is that we can. And I'm shocked whenever there's like a really truly humble response, especially when someone is gifted and, and has a sense of courage and strength to go along with it. I'll give you just a quick example of this that was just shocking to me. Like it's, it's really arresting when you see humility play out like this. But we work together with a lot of the churches we've planted, and then now they've planted church, churches over the years called the Redeemer Network. And the other day that our director of our Redeemer Network, a guy named Brandon, um, Barker said that he wanted to make some tweaks. We like to replant churches. That's something newer that we're doing, which is a church that's dead or dying, that may have facilities, but wants to kind of relaunch itself and come back as, as a new church, basically, and a service to them, which is a big deal in West Texas and beyond. And uh, But he had an idea on like a better way to talk about that and something that could really bring it into the, the main stem of, of how we're doing things with the Redeemer Network. So I'm not going to bother you with the organizational part, but the guy that really founded this ministry is a guy named David Miller, really cool guy, um, helped replant a church up in Abernathy, and um, is like founded a bunch of businesses, like a really smart, gifted dude. And, um, and we were just kind of wondering how that was going to go when uh, Brandon offered this like tweak to how it would like be organized. And my experience is, is expect resistance, right? That somebody's going to be like, no, nah, man, I started this and no, you're not. And, um, you know, all that. But what was interesting is that when I think of someone as gifted and smart as, and able as David Miller is, that um, he just listened and he took the thing in. And instead of feeling like he needed to defend his thing, he just listened. He's like, that's a great idea. That's a, I think we should do that. That is a real, like he was just listening to the idea instead of feeling like he needed to defend it. It's this poor in spirit, a humility where you're curious, you're listening, you're asking questions and, and wondering what the best thing is and not from a filter of, wait, will this diminish my influence? Um, did you not like the first idea? You're able to have just this low ego. And it was so shocking that another one of our leaders called me right afterwards and was like, what just happened? Like, that is just incredible because I'm telling you, like, it just doesn't happen, whether you're in business or anything else, that people tend to flex whatever, uh, whatever uh, kind of influence that we tend to have. And so blessed, you flourish if you're poor in spirit. Okay, let's move to the next one. Verse 4, blessed or flourishing are those who mourn, for they shall uh, be comforted. So this has a lot of different elements to it about when we talk about mourning. And it could be something like where you're, you're, you've really lost something. Like the other day, I was actually staying in, uh, in Allen right across Central Expressway from where that shooting was. In fact, we almost went there on the way to a baseball tournament, and we ended up going to Best Buy instead. But it was like a really, like we heard about it at the baseball field, the shooting. And um, like it, it was, I think we all felt that one. But there, like they, they felt it. Like that was right there. People worked and lived right there. And it's just like, what just happened? And there, there's this sense of like God drawing near to the brokenhearted about either people affected by tragedy or even just people that are nervous about like, what kind of world are we living in? And I'm raising children in this world. And, and Lord, how are you going to intervene? And, and Lord, we need you to work. There's a sense of to the brokenhearted of someone that's reaching out and saying, God, I am sad. Like, I, I don't know what to do. And I'm hurting right now that God draws near to you. And so I just want you to know this. It doesn't have to even be a shooting, but like you're, you're mourning because you've got a kid that's struggling. You're mourning uh, because your marriage is, it feels like it could kind of go either way, or um, you've lost someone that you love, or that, and you're, this is even maybe reminded to you on Mother's Day, or whatever the case is, like you're sad, you're lonely, that God draws near to you, that there's, there's a flourishing to those who mourn and um, even reach out to God in the middle of your loss that he sees you and cares. I just want you to know that. But even beyond that, uh, someone else that mourns is that you're admitting uh, weakness, you're admitting vulnerabilities. There's this mourning even for your limitations and um, that God draws near. There's a flourishing when we say, I do not have what it 
takes all the time. Like I'm limited, I need sleep, I get, I get fatigued, I get kind of cranky, I get whatever it is, and just acknowledging sin, acknowledging weakness, acknowledging vulnerability, there's a flourishing. And this is so hard because typically we like to project strength to strength and not weakness. And I, I love this. It's just so, can you see again, the kingdom values are so different than our, you know, our own beatitudes of our day um, that would say, let's be strong, let's be rich, let's be powerful, let's be successful, um, let's not have any hassles, let's have enough things that nobody can get into your life that you don't want there. It's like, no, um, you'll flourish if you mourn. If you, it's okay to be sad and God draws near to you. Verse five, uh, blessed or flourishing are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. And this is a really uh, pulling together from the, really the last two verses is again, this idea of humility. And uh, there's something of gentleness here and someone that um, takes that low road. Again, don't think pushover because you're about to see this in the next verse. Don't think pushover. Don't think an absence of courage. Um, that you could be very, very strong and someone that fights for what's beautiful and right, but at the same time, humble and easy to work with and kind. That this, this is the meekness. And I think Jesus exemplified this in a beautiful way. All right, next verse, verse six. Blessed or flourishing are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. So I mentioned this a second ago, but this is why we're not just talking about sugary, sweet people that just are kind of like wanting to be, uh, you know, to say whatever people want to hear. And no, 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 you can go to lunch wherever you want to go. Sure, if you want to go eat there, that's fine. And, and whatever everybody else wants, that, that's not the profile. He's not saying pushover and people pleaser. Here you have someone that's hungering and thirsting, thirsting for righteousness, this could be on a personal level of someone that's just aching for, Lord, I want to see your values and the values of the kingdom. I want my mind to be transformed and I want to reflect you and how I live and I see areas that are out of alignment and I don't like how I interact with my spouse and I don't like um, how it is that I handled this situation the other day and I, I, want, I want holiness and I want to reflect you and I, I want to know you in that way. It could be personally, but it could also be societally. Think about Jesus's model prayer that he taught his disciples and that we pray, you know, Father, hallowed be your name. And then this next part of it is, is that your kingdom come on earth as, as it is in heaven. And so where we see injustices in this world, um, where um, life is not valued and protected, where there's racism, um, where uh, people that are vulnerable are not protected and not seen, that, that um, there's this, this hungering and thirsting of like, that isn't right. And I would even make a case, just as an aside, that the fact that um, there's so many people that really do value justice in our society that have kind of severed themselves from like the, the Christian worldview, uh, but it's the Christian worldview that even raises the question of injustice. Because without it, what does it even mean like for things to be right or wrong, really, like on a real fundamental level? But when we look at the Bible and we see the Bible define what's right and wrong, and we have a category here for injustice that we say, man, this isn't right. And uh, you may work politically towards that. You may work personally towards that. You may work in a lot of different ways, but um, you want to see God's kingdom and his values come to earth as it is in heaven. There's a hungering and thirsting for righteousness that goes along. So I see courage along with this meekness. And this is the life that flourishes. And I just think that that's beautiful. Uh, verse seven, uh, blessed are the merciful for they shall receive mercy. I love this, that, um, that mercy, what a beautiful marker. If you want life that flourishes, that yes, we want justice, but I would think the thing that you're going to want to typify your life more than anything else is, uh, is mercy, is someone has done you wrong and the temptation is going to be to stick it to them and to write them off, cut them off. And I realize there are times where you cut off a relationship. I get that. Uh, but it's like last resort. And I remember a long time ago, my wife and I were at a wedding of some, this is back when she was in med school, I think. 
and we were at a wedding, and they're going around with a roving uh, camera, you know, kind of saying, hey, what's your advice for the new couple? And um, Amy had like a, a phrase. She said, give grace. Give grace. Now, she'd been married to me, so you can see why she would say something like that. So, uh, but she had a lot of opportunities for that. But uh, give grace, you know, is that um, there's some things you're like, you know, I don't think I'm going to, I don't think I'm going to confront that, you know? And um, I've got some things that are probably equally annoying and more so that, because that's usually where these things start are just things that we're annoyed by, where they're just different than us. And okay, you've even hurt me. I'm going to mention it to you. I'm going to say, ouch, that actually really hurt when you said that. I'm going to, I'm going to mention that, that we're friends here or you're married or whatever the case is. I'm like that hurt. But, um, but then when, when, uh, even before they ask, we've already forgiven, you know? That um, there, there's an incredible, um, you know, like a great um, mix, like a recipe for a great marriage is mercy given quickly. And I'll be straight with you, man. Like I'm shocked when I see it in action. In the same way that I'm shocked when someone doesn't um, use their power and influence um, to the nth degree. Like I'm shocked whenever you see humility in action that plays out in compassion and mercy towards someone that they've been wronged and they choose to forgive and they choose to build a bridge and uh, choose to think the best and not in the next situation immediately assume ulterior motives. It is shocking when you see mercy in action because it just doesn't happen. Um, it, it's a beautiful thing. Uh, and God's saying that's where we flourish, where grace, is, because here's the thing, is that if you understand your own spiritual need, then you understand that is the case for everybody you know. Everybody you know also similarly are knuckleheads cracked in the head. We talked about that from Romans. That's theological truth. And so um, that if you know that's true and that you need grace not only for salvation but just to make it today, then that's exactly what they need. And it makes it really easy when they offend you and they hurt you and their, their issues affect you that it makes it really easy to extend grace that way because that's what God has done with you like a million times over and over again. Verse 8. Um, blessed, flourishing, or the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Um, I love this because um, this would be maybe a couple of ways of thinking about this. One way would be in contrast to a lot of religious people in Jesus' day who externally look good. They might even do like scrubbing like a surgeon, and that would make them like ceremonially clean. And they're like, no, I'm pure now because I've like washed my hands in the right way. You're like, no. What about that lustful thought in there? And what about, what about that lack of mercy extended to your friend? And what about your dishonesty with money? And what about, you know, whatever. And he's saying, no, what, the purity of the heart, that's where the flourishing comes in, purity of the heart. Now, let me say it one other way. Uh, Soren Kierkegaard um, made this case, that the purity of the heart is to will one thing. And that's the only way our hearts can be pure is to will one thing. And the only way you can will one thing is if that thing is Jesus Christ because your heart is always going to be divided. So it can be divided as I kind of want Jesus and I kind of want the world and I live there too much and I bet you do too, which is you know, why I sometimes don't flourish. But even if you're like, I don't even want Jesus, so I'm gonna will one thing and that's me. But even that one thing that you might want, the world, you, all that is gonna be divided. Like you're gonna want lots of things. I want people to think I'm a nice guy, but I wanna get ahead. You know, I want to have easy life, but I want to be crazy rich. And you're just going to find, you're going to find yourself torn. Even if you fully decide to go all in to live for yourself, there's just always this disunity of the heart. The only way, the only way to have unity of the heart is to will one thing, which is Jesus. And, um, and when that heart is purely focused on Jesus, you have this flourishing of the soul. Um, that's how this whole thing works. There's a flourishing whenever there's a purity of heart. Verse nine, uh, blessed are the peacemakers, so they shall be, for they shall be called sons of God. Um, one commentator I read brought us said, there is no more godlike work to be done in the world than peacemaking. 
and I find so little of it. If I were to give just a, a quick tip on peacemaking, it would be this. All the time, first of all, for you, um, advice would be, as far as it depends on you, again, this is a Romans thing, as far as it depends on you, be at peace with those around you. So if there's a messed up relationship, you can't always make that other person um, handle themselves in a good way. You can't control that, right? But what you can do is as far as it depends on you, you can be at peace. You can have reached out. You could, hey, let's try to get this together. Maybe it goes badly. You can't control their response. You can control your heart. You can control your forgiveness. You can control your efforts to try to make those things right. So that'd be the first thing. But man, lots of times you're going to have friends that will come up to you and say, man, you know, I had this falling out. And, you know, my boyfriend broke up with me or my good friends, we won't speak to each other anymore. Or I just got, I just got fired this week or who knows what, you know, there could be all these things. And here's my one encouragement for you is just be curious, just be curious because what you can do, you can actually tilt that direction, that conversation in a really negative or positive direction. Um, If you are curious, you may even be able to help them come to a sense of understanding of themselves and even be able to maybe reconcile with someone. So it's like, okay, so you had this big falling out. Tell me more about that. Hey, you got fired. So that was just really out of the blue. Like there was no conversations, like they didn't do any kind of corrective conversation. There was no performance improvement plan that you didn't, you didn't have a conversation with another person or that your boyfriend broke up with you. But tell me about that. Had y'all been, I hadn't heard anything. Had y'all, had y'all had some disagreements and whatever? Like, just be curious, ask lots of questions. And one of the things you can do is you can understand that there's always a couple of perspectives and then helping point people together anywhere you can, instead of they did what, you know, all that kind of thing. And so um, we can, you can inflame that or you can help bring people together, blessed, flourishing. Listen to me, Jesus's words, flourishing are the peacemakers. I'm not talking peace at any cost, but people that point people together um, as much as you can. And I'm just going to read these last three verses together. Uh, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward, reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So Jesus just wraps this up and saying, hey, look, if you're persecuted for me, um, there's, a, there, there's a flourishing here that you can just trust me with this. And uh, just to be really clear about this, it's not exactly the same to be persecuted for Jesus' sake versus having hot takes on the internet about your political ideology and people getting mad about it. Those are two different things, all right? So just so we're clear on that, if you want to have hot takes on the internet, you can do that. Just don't think you're being persecuted for Jesus' sake on this. But my experience for this is that it's usually pretty mild. People may not like some of your moral takes because of the teachings of Jesus that Christians hold to. That's probably the thing that I've experienced the most. But man, there are people around the world, a lot of the the church um, and Christians in the part of the world where we send our goers to, um, that they lose their life because of following Jesus. They are excluded. We've had people that our goers have shared their faith with in the Muslim world that are kicked out of their families, that he's saying, hey, I know this doesn't seem like you're flourishing, but on a spiritual level, you're blessed and you're flourishing because of your commitment to me and that God, God will see them all the way through. So here's the thing. Um, whenever we pull this together, here's how I would see this, is that Jesus is announcing kingdom values. And in some ways, it reminds me of Romans 12, 1 and 2, where Jesus said, or Paul says that, hey, we don't want to be, uh, we don't want to be conformed to the world, but we want our mind to be, tra- we want to be transformed. And we want our mind to be renewed. And it's renewed if you fast forward through the cross 
and the resurrection, that's the how. Jesus isn't announcing the how here because um, he hasn't gone to the cross yet. But the how is the grace of, of God through Jesus, that our mind is renewed through Jesus' work on the cross and the resurrection. And uh, we don't, we're not conformed to the patterns of the world with our own ways of getting the blessed life, but rather we're transformed, we're renewed uh, by the kingdom values. As we look to God, as we consider the grace of God, our, our minds changed. And we have these countercultural values through what Jesus has done. And then the last thing I'll add is this, is that because we're talking about the kingdom values, it means there's something more after this world. Because sometimes this is so hard for me to believe, is can you imagine the next life where there's nobody that's flexing um, their, their power and influence they've got? Can you imagine? Can you even imagine that? Can you imagine nobody projecting strength? Are you good? Yeah, yeah, good, blessed. You know, that kind of thing when their life's not crumbling, right? Um, and nobody's chasing power. Nobody's loving money. Nobody's mistreating people. There's no more injustices. There's no more sex trafficking. There's no more little ones that are killed. There's no more anything. Like, there's no more any of that. Can you imagine a world where there's not any more conflict? Uh, no people doing ugly things. Uh, nobody making someone feel small. No one using their physical strength to bully or intimidate. No more racism. Can you imagine no more splits and divides in our culture? Can you even imagine? that. And here's the thing that's incredible, and I hope this just woos you if you're not a follower of Jesus, is that this is what's in store for us through Jesus. He came, he came to make all of this right. Through his death and resurrection, he's going to come again. He's going to make a new heavens and a new earth. He's announcing the values of the kingdom to us right here. Someday he's going to make it right. And I just want you to be encouraged that it may feel very wrong. About three quarters of the time, that's how it feels to me. It's like, ugh, this world, it's so sad and it's so broken. And you see these glimpses of beauty and grace and kindness. And someday, like that, that dawn is the way you can think about it. We have a dawn of grace now. Uh, Newton talked about this in his song, Amazing Grace. It's like this dawn of redeeming grace that we experience now. But someday, after we've been there for a thousand years, this dawning grace is now going to be this blazing August Lubbock sun straight overhead. I realize the metaphor is getting messed up here. It's like, I don't like that. But like, like I'm talking about all the warmth that is just going to burn away all of the sad and broken, dark things in our world and in your heart and in your life and all the things that you've lost, all the mourning that you've had, um, it's all going to be made right. Every last bit of it. And that's what Jesus is announcing here. Let me, let me pray. Lord, thank you for that. Thank you for the hope of what will be the values of your kingdom. And Lord, we are, are hungry to see these things break into our life, a different pattern of flourishing than our society offers, and we want your way. We know what our way gets us, and we want your way. Um, and so, Lord, would you let it be so? And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.